Well, if you've got your Bibles, dear friends, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read a short portion from God's Word. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll read from the first verse. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly deserving to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality may be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for this selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labour that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he have done, whether it be good or bad. There are three things that are making tremendous progress today, and they are on the march. The first thing is atheism. Have you ever noticed how atheism is on the march and making tremendous progress? Think, for example, of Professor Richard Dawkins, the militant atheist, who wrote the book some time ago, The God Delusion, which proved to be a bestseller. And he says the sole purpose of writing the book is to make people atheists and not to believe in God. Atheism is on the march. You have them every place. In our universities, in our further colleges, for further education, and in different places, atheism, without a doubt, is on the march. Also, we find that secularism is also on the march. The emphasis on things that are secular, that are material, are not spiritual. And you see that all around us today. The fourth thing that is on the march is humanism. I have in front of me a little leaflet with regard to humanism, beliefs and agenda. Here's what it says. 
Humanists believe that the natural world is all that exists. They do not believe in God, the supernatural, and afterlife, heaven or hell. So there's the three things that we surely must notice as we live today. Atheism, secularism, humanism making tremendous progress and on the march. Now there's one thing that these three things have in common, whether it be atheism, secularism or humanism, and it is this. They do not believe in life after death. They do not believe in an afterlife. They're atheists. They don't believe in God, don't believe in heaven, don't believe in hell, don't believe in existence after you die. They would say that when you're dead, you're dead. That is their philosophy. That is what they believe. Now we are faced with this, dear friends, whether we like it or not. We can't avoid it. Every day we live, we are faced with these three forces that are coming against us every day that we live. And of course, we have to examine these things in the light of Scripture. And as we do so, we find that they are wrong. And we make no mistake with that. We say categorically that they are wrong. In saying that there's no God, that there's no heaven, that there's no hell, that there's no afterlife, that there's no existence after death. We say it categorically that they are wrong. Not because we say it, but because the Bible also is against it. And we need to get back to the Bible to find out what the Bible has to say about these things. And of course when we come to the Bible and examine this, we find immediately the Bible is very clear. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment so you see after this after death the judgment and whether they like it or not one day they are going to to die and sad to say they're going to discover too late of course that their philosophy that their belief has been all wrong and will end up at eternity without God. Some time ago it was reckoned between 60 and 70 people every minute passes from time into eternity. Of course every minute a new baby is born into the world. But a tremendous fact between 60 and 70 and it could be more people die every 
single minute. Passing from time into eternity. And uh, let me be very gracious this evening, dear friends, that if the Lord Jesus does not come in your lifetime and in my lifetime, then we also are going to, to die. Now that's not being morbid, that's facing facts. We are going to, to die. Now I trust tonight that you won't think that our subject is a very morbid one because I'm going to speak to you this evening on a very important subject that concerns all of us especially if we are Christians and I'm going to touch upon an aspect of eschatology now eschatology simply means the doctrine of the last things has to do with prophecy and what the future holds in store. Eschatology. Perhaps you've heard the word. And that is what we're going to think about this evening. And we're going to think for a little time on the intermediate state of the believer between death and resurrection. The intermediate state of the believer between death and resurrection. And of course this should be of interest to us because if it so happens that uh, the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime we are going to experience what we're going to think about this evening. And of course, if we know what the Bible has to teach on the subject, it will help us to face the future with certainty and with reality. Having our trust and our faith in the inspired word of God. So that's the theme this evening. That's the subject, the intermediate state of the believer between death and resurrection now what I want to do this evening is very simple I want to uh, approach it from a negative point of view and then to approach it from a positive point of view and to me this is very important that we clear the ground so that we know exactly what the Bible has to teach about this very important subject that concerns you and concerns me. Now when this very building we're in this evening was being constructed, a tremendous emphasis was placed upon laying the foundation before the structure was raised. Foundations are very important. And by approaching our subject this evening from a negative point of view, we're going to discover what it is not. And then 
from a positive point of view, we're going to consider what it is. And when we think of the negatives, there are six things, six negatives that we must think about this evening in order to clear the ground to lay the foundation of our subject this evening. What then are these six negatives that we must clear out of the way in order for us to understand this wonderful subject? Well, here's the first one. We do not believe, and the Bible does not teach, what is known as soul sleep. Now perhaps you've heard the expression, soul sleep. And sad to say, the Seventh-day Adventists, they would teach this. Jehovah's Witness, they would teach this. And then uh, Bullingerism, a long time ago, placed great emphasis on that particular aspect of teaching. And even today... This is about this theory, this idea of soul sleep. Now, what do they mean when they say soul sleep? Well, they simply mean that when the the body dies and is either buried or cremated, whatever the case may be, the disembodied soul of the believer is unconscious and will not awake into consciousness until the resurrection so between death and resurrection for the believer they say it is one of unconsciousness so sleep the disembodied soul is asleep is unconscious until the trumpet sounds and the resurrection takes place. Now, the Bible absolutely rejects that. It does not teach soul sleep. So remember, when we're speaking of this particular subject this evening, we must throw it away. And we must reject completely this theory, this idea of soul sleeping. As we're going to see later on, the Bible clearly teaches that the believer is conscious between death and resurrection. Now, here's the second negative we must clear out of the way. And it is this, and this may seem strange to some of you, but there are those who believe that when a believer dies and he's buried or cremated, whatever the case may be, that during that state between death and resurrection, he receives there and then his new body. Have you ever heard of that? Some teach that. That he's not without a body, but uh, during that state, uh, he has received his new body. 
that is going to have at resurrection. In other words, they would not believe in what the Bible speaks of as the unclothed state. The soul without the body. Or no, they say, as soon as he dies or she dies, they receive a body. The Bible, of course, rejects that completely. There is no intermediate body during that particular state. Now, here's the third uh, negative we must dispose of, and it's this, that uh, there is no such place as purgatory. No such place as purgatory. Now, of course, we know that this is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. They still believe in purgatory. Now, I have in front of me an idea or a teaching from their own scholars. And I'm going to read it to you so that you know exactly what they believe, not what I say, here's what they believe from their own pen. And they're speaking about the subject of purgatory. According to this teaching, the soul immediately after death goes to heaven, or to hell, or to purgatory. According to the nature of its relationship with God at the precise moment of death. Now, bear that in mind. Three stages. Either they go to heaven, they go to hell, or they go to purgatory. Here's the first one. If the soul, if the soul is in a state of perfect friendship of God, being entirely free from mortal and venial sin, and having done sufficient penitence for sins committed after baptism, it is immediately admitted to, to the beatific vision, known as heaven. Here's the second one. If the soul at death is in a state of enmity with God through having one or more mortal sins unrepented of, it is driven away from him and plunged into a state of damnation. This state will be eternal, for after death the soul does not change. The damned soul no longer des desires God. It detests him eternally. The state of damnation is called <coughs> hell. And here's what we need to emphasize this evening. The third stage. Finally, if at death the soul is in a state of grace and amity with God but as yet unworthy to be admitted to the beatific vision, either because of venial, unrepented, or lack of sufficient penitence for sin, for both mortal and venial sin, or both. It must pass some time, long or short, according to the amount of its debt in an intermediate state. 
This state is, is designated in the Latin church since the 11th century by the word purgatory. That is a place of purification of expiration. So there we have it from the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church for their own teaching. A place known as purgatory. If you're not good enough to get to heaven, first of all, or you're a value sinner, you go to hell. But there's this place called purgatory in which there's a place of purification. Now the Bible does not teach purgatory. You will not find it anywhere in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It does not teach purgatory. Now, here's the fourth negative. And I want you to listen very carefully. The believer is not yet in the celestial city. Now, you go to Revelation 21, and what do you find? John sees this tremendous city, the jasper walls, the pearly gates, the golden street, and what a wonderful place. And there are some people, some Christians, who believe that when a Christian dies, that they have entered the celestial city. They're seeing the pearly gates, they see the jasper walls, walking in the golden streets but the Bible does not teach that during this particular state the intermediate state he or she has not yet entered into the celestial city that is still to come and they will enter that blessed place but not during this particular state but that may come as a surprise to some this evening if so Sorry to disappoint you. Now, here's the fifth one. And this may shock you. The Christian has not yet received their rewards. Now, how many times have we heard people say, Oh, die, have you heard of my brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, a good Christian? Ah, oh, well, they, they have died, and they have gone to their reward. Have you ever heard that? Of course you have. That's how we speak. But the Bible does not teach that. It doesn't teach that you're in that particular state, that the believer has gone to their reward, they will one day, but not at that particular time. Now let me show you this. Go to Second Timothy chapter 4. Don't take my word for it. Second Timothy chapter 4. And here's what Paul says in verse 8. Look at verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. When? At that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now what day is he speaking about? Well, go to verse 1. 
I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And as I read from 2 Corinthians 5, the believer shall get the reward when they stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, then the sixth negative is this they have not yet received their glorified bodies that has yet to come at the resurrection so there's six negatives that we must clear away no soul sleep no immediate body no purgatory not yet in the celestial city not yet received their eternal reward and not yet have received their glorified bodies so we've cleared the ground of those things that is what it is not now then we come to the positives. What is it? Well, let me put it this way. The Bible teaches here three great positives. And they are wonderful. And here's the first one. When a believer dies, at that very moment, he or she finds himself or herself in the presence of the Lord in other words he or she is with Christ now go to 2 Corinthians 5 and here's what it says we are confident verse 8 I say and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord now let me just stop here there's something very interesting now you must remember that the New Testament wasn't written in English what you have in front of you is a translation from the original Greek and we're greatly indebted to men of ability who have translated the Greek into English but in the original Greek of verse 8 Paul uses a tremendous Greek preposition and I love to study Greek prepositions they are precise they are geometrical they are precise and we have it in verse 8 absent from the body the word from is translating the Greek preposition ak which literally means out of so precise out of so we can read the verse we are confident I say and willing rather to be out of the body and to be present with the Lord again we go back to the Greek for that word presence and it literally means to be at home with the Lord the Greek word signified a house, a home. Now isn't that beautiful? Out of the body and at home with the Lord. Now 
ever be it so humble, they say, there's no place like home. And thank God, dear Christian friend, that when the time comes for you and for me, and remember, you won't go a minute too early or a minute too late, you go on time. And I'm hoping for some of you, or for most of us, it's a long, long time ahead. But remember this, your times are in your hands, in God's hands. And when the time comes for you to breathe your last, and you die, immediately you are with Christ. Now go to Philippians chapter 1. Let me show you this. Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 23. Philippians chapter 1. Or look at verse 21. It says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is but the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, listen to this, and to be with Christ, which is far better. So, the first positive, we are with Christ. You are out of the body. You are at home with the Lord. But then, secondly, not only with Christ, but with Christ consciously. During that period between death and resurrection, we find ourselves in the Lord's presence and we are conscious of Him. Now, isn't it very interesting? That Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gained. Wait a minute. We look upon, or the world looks upon, death as losing out. For example, you've heard us say, you've heard someone say, but I, so and so has died, and sometimes they say, but I, how much did they leave? Well, the answer is, he left everything. We brought nothing into the world, the Bible says, and you can't take anything out. He left everything. And to the world, it's a loss. His house, his property, his money, his bank balance, it's a loss to him when he dies. But here Paul says, to die is gain. <laughs> and we ask him, come on Paul, what are you talking about? How are you going to gain by dying? The world thinks you'll lose it out. But Paul realized that for the believer, for the Christian, to die is gain. Now then, go back to this idea of soul sleep. If that theory is correct, tell me, what gain would it be for Paul to be asleep for nearly 2,000 years since he died? What gain would it be? What a nonsense. But no gain for Paul. Coming from active Christian service and then so sleep for nearly 2,000 years. Ah, but Paul realized that when he died, it's going to be gained. Because remember, he was caught up into the third heaven 
on one occasion. And he heard things, and he saw things that's not love of any man to hear. He had a foretaste. And he says, oh yes, I can hardly wait to live as Christ. Oh yes, and to die is gain. A dear Christian, you're not going to lose out by dying. You're going to gain. Because you shall be with him. Your saviour. Your lord. Your friend. You shall see him in all his majesty. In all his glory. And you shall be conscious of his presence. And then of course thirdly. You be with Christ locally. Where he is. You're going to be. Not in the celestial city. That's still to come. But the Lord Jesus has passed through the heavens and he is at this very moment in the presence of God, seated at God's right hand. And that's where we're going to be during that intermediate state between death and resurrection. With Christ, with Christ consciously and with Christ locally. To die is gain. Now, I have simply led the foundation this evening because I want the Lord willing to come back next Sunday evening and we're going to have a look at this in a very more deeper way because we're going to have a look at what it's like during that particular period. For example, how can you see without eyes? How can you hear without hearing? How can you feel without having the faculties of the body? Let me ask you a question. Those dear believers, your loved ones who have loved the Lord and are in his presence, let me ask you a question. What are they doing? How are they occupied? Do they think of you? Do they pray for you? Now the Bible doesn't teach praying for the dead. We don't do that friends. But let me tell you. And I will assure you. And this will come as a great encouragement. Those dear ones in the glory. That you have known and loved here on earth. They have left you bodily. But isn't it great to know that they are thinking of you. And they are praying for you in the glory. Let me ask you another question. Do they see us? Or are we hid from their sight? Now these are the questions that you're probably asking. And I have to confess, I don't have all the answers. And you don't have all the answers. Because the Bible says, we know in part. And we prophesy in part. But... Paul says there's a day coming then we shall know even as we are known or more literally from the Greek then shall we fully know even as we are fully known now I trust this evening that if there been any fear of death it has been removed because our Lord Jesus, he has extracted the sting of death. And let me tell you something. 
I'll be started by second ministry over there. Not here. I, I'm told this. Uh, I can't sing a note. But I'll ask the Jews. I'll be happy. My, my second ministry will be starting. Because when the dead are raised and the living are changed, Paul said, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And this is the song we're going to sing. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has lost its sting. Yes, the grave may hold us for a wee while. It won't hold us forever. Because when that trumpet sounds, what a day that's going to be. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Are you getting excited? Amen. Have you heard the story of the pastor? And he was preaching. Going to preach on 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe I've said this before, I'm not too sure. But he's going to preach when the trumpet sounds. And there happened to be a man at his church who could play the trumpet. He liked to blow his own trumpet, as we say. And literally, of course, liked to blow his own trumpet. And the minister said, and then, listen here, brother. I want you to hide yourself in some part of the church building. So that you're not seen. Hide yourself. And when I come to the part in my sermon in which the trumpet shall sound, then I want you, brother, to blast the trumpet as hard as you can. Right, he says, Pastor, I'll do that. So, in the sermon, the time came, the trumpet just sounded, and immediately the brother, he said that, as you know friends, some almost died of a heart attack, <laughs> because they thought it was the real trumpet, the trumpet had sounded. Oh friends, one day it's not going to be that sort of thing, it's going to be a literal trumpet, that trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are living, we shall be changed. We shall cheat the undertaker. <laughs> the living shall be changed. The dead raised, the living changed, and together caught up to meet the Lord. And, the, and Paul says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And when that happens, those in the intermediate state will come with him, and then they shall be reunited, reunited with their glorious resurrection body like unto his what a day glorious day that will be now dear friends I've got to bring you down to earth oh yes I don't want your heads away up the clouds all this theology and eschatology and all this doctrine remember what John says John in his 90s an old man and he writes in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then the next verse says, And every man that hath this hope in him, Purify of himself, even as he is pure. In other words, don't get your heads full of theology and eschatology. It's going to be worked out. The hope in him.
purifieth himself. Have you ever noticed in 1 Corinthians 15, after Paul's got all this teaching about the resurrection, how does chapter 16 commence? Thy concerning the collection. <laughs> From such heights, and then thy concerning the offering, the collection, you see. You see, you've got to keep your feet to the ground. Because this has got to be worked out. You've heard the story, no doubt, of the young men. And they were discussing the various translations of the Bible. One said, I, I, love the, I love the good old authorised version. And by the way, friends, I was preaching in Rutherglen some time ago. And before I went, I was told specifically, remember, you must use the authorised version. Don't you dare use any other version. So I had to use the authorised version when I preached in this particular church in, in Rutherglen. So some love the authorised, and that's the way. But I, I love, I love the more modern translations, Buffett's translations, Weymouth's translation. And then young one man, he was very quiet, very silent. And they asked, "One, we have told you what, what our favourite translations. What about you? What's your favourite translation?" Well, he says, "My favourite translation is my mother's translation." Oh, they said. Is your mother a Hebrew scholar? Is your mother a Greek scholar? What's her translation? Well, he says, my mother translates it into everyday living. Let's leave this meeting. Rejoice in these great things, but keep your feet firmly on the ground. And Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.